the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Wednesday, May 19th, 2021. A friend and I were talking this morning and about books, conservative books. We got to talking about how in our movement, at least, we seem even now to care and read more about communism and socialism than terrorism. Is it possible this is because communism kills or has killed more? But then again, there are more Islamist and terrorist sponsoring countries than communist socialist countries. And this gets to a very, very interesting set of paradoxes and truths that not enough seem to grasp when it comes to the current conflict in the Middle East. Without communism, there is no terrorism, at least not as we understand it in the modern world. It is not an accident the Soviets helped found the most famous modern terrorist organization in the world, the PLO. As we've talked here and there about the Middle East and the communist influence of its base ideologies and operations, I've not gone into it deeply, though perhaps now is that time, given you see two other paradoxical yet true things going on. The most vociferous vitriol against the United States comes from the same set of talking points, minus the religious aspect, but in every other aspect, the same set of talking points used by socialist communists and terrorists. This, of course, helps explain why books found in terrorists' houses, like bin Laden's, include histories and commentaries on America by so many academic socialists and communists, like and including Noam Chomsky, Chomsky's narrative of America in the West. The 1619 narrative was and is Al-Qaeda's as well. All of this especially revolves around the issues Nikita Khrushchev gave to the United Nations in the 1950s as the issues the Third World, revolutionary movements including Islamist and Arab nationalist, and communism could unite. Those issues Khrushchev, Khrushchev spelled out were colonialism, imperialism, and racism. What a great way to lump the luridities of the West, America, and her allies, including Israel, into one sphere of influence, and Marxism as the other, grabbing the growing Arab and Islamist movements at the time into the anti-American and anti-Western alliance they would become. Why else would Yasser Arafat work with the Soviets, the Castros, and oppose the United States and side with her enemies in every battle and war since the 1960s? Why else the unification of the malocracy of Iran with the communist movement in Venezuela? Why is the antagonism toward Israel, the wish for it to cease to exist, really? Why is that the loudest from the socialist communist political leaders in America? like Bernie Sanders, Rashida Tlaib, Ilan Omar, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, well outshadowing, well outspeaking anything white supremacist or considered right-wing. This squad plus Sanders, they, after all, they support LGBTQ rights, don't they? 
They, after all, support abortion rights, don't they? They, after all, support minority rights, don't they? And yet none of those exist in the Arab and Islamist world and certainly not in the Palestinian territories, which is why those seeking abortions and those wanting to live in LGBTQ lifestyle and live in safety and live in the territories escape and try to escape to Israel to live freely and safely. Why is there such antagonism from this uber-progressive crowd then for the country that embraces their agendas in all except the destruction of that country? And why is there such support from this uber-progressive crowd then for the movement that does not believe in voting, much less voting rights, gay rights, lesbian rights, religious freedom, or racial minority rights? The party is the answer. Marxist destruction and radical Marxist transformation trumps everything else. That's why. How else do you have good and reasonable people, so you thought, support monsters from the Castros to Mao? Some way, same way you can see today reasonable-sounding people support the masters of Venezuela, even as their citizens' concept of going out to dinner is by dumpster diving. The party. Paul Berman is a man of great liberal credentials, professor of journalism, former writer for the New Republic and the Village Voice. His book, Liberalism and Terrorism, reaches far. I've read to you from his book before on other issues. I shall do so now in new respects. He writes, the 20th century wars were ideological in a double sense. There was the struggle of liberalism against its enemies, and there was the struggle of, Ill, of liberalism against itself. That is to say, there was always a doubt in the liberal movement as to whether the illiberal movement might be right, forcing a self-interrogation against itself within the liberal movement. The present conflict seems to me to be following the 20th century pattern exactly, with one variation. The anti-liberal side right now, instead of communist, Nazi, fascist, happens to be radical Arab nationalist and Islamic fundamentalist. Over the last several decades, a variety of movements have arisen in the Arab and Islamic countries, a radical nationalism, Ba'ath socialist, Marxist, pan-Arab, and so forth, and a series of Islamist movements, meaning Islamic fundamentalism in a political sense. The movements have varied hugely and have gone to war with one another to be sure, just as Hitler and Stalin slugged it out too. But the Islamists give the impression of having wandered into modern life directly from the 13th century, and the Ba'athists and Marxists have tried to seem modern and yet even futuristic. Think of how they talk here in America about the future all the time. Green energy and the like. But all of those movements have followed, each in its own fashion, the 20th century pattern. They are anti-liberal insurgencies. They have identified a people of the good who are the Arabs or Muslims, just like the proletariat. They believe that their own societies have been infested with a hideous inner corruption which must be rooted out, a race or bourgeoisie. 
They observe that the inner infestation is supported by powerful external forces. Group responsibility. And they gird their swords. Their thinking is apocalyptic. They imagine that at the end they too will succeed in establishing a block-like, unchanging society, freed of inner corruption, a purified society, the victory of good. They are the heirs of the 20th century totalitarians, though. It is worth remarking how often an antipathy for the Jews has recurred in these various movements over the years. Nazi paranoia about the Jews was an extreme case, but it would be a mistake to suppose that Nazism was alone in this. At the end of his life, Stalin, an anti-Nazi, is thought to have been likewise planning a general massacre of the Jews, of which the doctor's plot was a foretaste. The Nazi paranoia, just like Stalin's, was owed strictly to ancient superstitions and especially to psychological fears, the fears that were spiked, sparked by the mere existence of a minority population that seemed incapable of blending into the seamless, block-like, perfect society of the future. The Arab radical and Islamist antipathy to the Jews naturally displays a somewhat different quality, given that, this time, the Jews do have a state of their own. And where there is power, conflicts are bound to be more than imagining. Even so, how can it be that after 120 years of Arab-Zionist conflict and more than 50 years of a Jewish state, the hostility to Israel seems to have remained constant? For Israel's borders have been broad, but, is also, but have also been narrow. Its leaders have been hawkish, sometimes contemptuous, but, is also, but have also been dovish and courteous. There have been West Bank settlements, and there have been no West Bank settlements. Proposals for common projects for mutual benefit, and no proposals. There have been times, such as the 1980s before the Russian immigration, when most of Israel's Jewish population consisted of people who fled to Israel from the Arab world itself, instead of from or to Europe. And not even then, in a period when Israel in its dusky-skinned authenticity can claim to be a genuinely third-world nation, not even then did the Israelis win any wider or warmer acceptance. And why was that, and why is it still? It is because the anti-Zionist hostility rests partly on the hard terrain of negotiable grievances, but mostly it goes floating along on the same airy currents of myth and dread that proved so irresistible to Nazis and communists in the past. The anti-Zionist hostility draws on a feeling that Arab and Islamic society has been polluted by an impure infestation that needs to be rooted out. The hostility draws, that is, on a lethal combination of utopian yearning and superstitious fear, the yearning for a new society cleansed of ethnic and religious difference, together with a fear of a diabolical minority population. Does that sound like an unfair or tendentious description of Middle Eastern anti-Zionism? The curses of the clerics, the earnest remarks of the presidents of Syria and other countries, the man-in-the-street interviews that keep appearing in the press and on the radio, the sermons, they're not pretty to quote. Even now, the newspapers in parts of the Islamic world are full of stories still today claiming the World Trade Center was attacked by, of course, a Jewish conspiracy. And so the Arab and Islamic world burns with hatred for Israel, in part because of issues that are factual, but mostly because of issues that are phantasmagorical. 
No one should doubt that hatred for the United States likewise draws, in some degree, on real-life terrible things that America has done to the Muslim world. But to what degree? To what degree? The United States is resented for supporting Israel. But then again, President Clinton did spend eight years trying to help the Palestinians negotiate a state, and hatred for the United States seems to have abated not one bit. Everyone agrees that America is loath for its years of fighting against Saddam Hussein, yet there is reason to suppose that without military opposition from the United States, the dictator who slaughtered hundreds of thousands would go on with his slaughters, as he promised to do. Kurds, Shiites, corpses. Indeed, we might even reflect that every time the United States has taken up arms in the last generation, it was on behalf of Muslims. This seems to have done nothing to improve America's reputation in the world of the Islamists and the radical Arab nationalists. Again, it's not about human rights. It's not about colonialism. It's not about imperialism. It's not about racism. There were no worse racist countries than the Sudan during the Cold War and after. Countries Yasser Arafat and Osama bin Laden were comfortable and made homes in. There was no greater colonialism and imperialism that the Soviet invasions in Europe and Afghanistan and in Central America and Africa that did not cease receiving celebrations from those denouncing imperialism, colonialism, and racism. My point is none of this is new. The only thing that's new is that all of this has been forgotten. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Delighted to have Chris Llewellyn as our producer pro tem today. Bill is out. He'll be back tomorrow. Chris has been uh, instrumental in helping with, among other things, our upcoming May 25th event with Sebastian Gorka and Mike Gallagher and Andy Biggs and me. It's called Crisis at the Border. And we're doing this May 25th here in uh, Scottsdale. You can get tickets at 960thepatriot.com. The day before, uh, on the, uh, I'm going to do a tour of the border with Andy and Mike, and we're going to tell you what we found, and we'll have a great conversation about that. And really, it as a smaller part of a larger progressive series of efforts to undermine America. Chris, uh, we have some giveaways on this, too. It's going to be a great event. What should we say? The first caller... Uh, gets uh, two free tickets to this event on May 25th? I like it. Yeah, All right. Sure. First caller, just uh, give us a call at 602-508-0960. Chris will take your information. We'll get you squared away. And if you weren't lucky enough to be the first caller, just go to the website, uh, 960thepatriot.com, and you can get your tickets that away. Do you remember about two weeks ago, um, about two weeks ago, the press... Everywhere you went, whether it was the Washington Post, the New York Times, or Arizona Republic, or L.A. Times, um, they were repeating and rebroadcasting um, all kinds of celebratory statements about former President George W. Bush and his condemnations of the Republican Party. George W. Bush, being on a book tour, was saying such things as he worries about the Republican Party being a party of nativists. Um, He worries about uh, the Republican Party being taken over by extremists. The press couldn't get enough of this and uh, give you um, 
President Bush's wise and sage advice. Nothing like an ex-Republican president to straighten out the country, according to the media, right? Or is it just that um, the media will quote uh, anyone who attacks a Republican? I ask because I'm curious to know how many um, newspapers and how many other uh, networks will broadcast what George W. Bush said today um, on the uh, Middle East. He was asked about the Middle East on Fox today, and he said, quote, I think the best approach with regard to Iran is to understand that their influence is dangerous for world peace, that they are very much involved with extremist movements in Lebanon and Syria and Yemen, and they are aiming to spread their influence. Any deal that is done has got to not only focus on its nuclear capabilities, but also its influence in the Middle East. And you know, any deal, you've got to keep in mind the dangers of an aggressive Iran to our allies and to stability. So it has to be a comprehensive look. In other words, don't do this Iran deal, Joe Biden. You can't have the Iran deal as currently constructed, and you're not going to have peace between Israel and Gaza until Iran reforms. That's what George W. Bush said. Sounds very much like anything um, Mike Pompeo or Mike Pence have been saying. Will the media, will the press pick up on any of this? No, of course not. Of course not. Why? Because it's condemnatory of the Biden administration. And uh, I suppose one might say... um, uh, a backhanded support for common sense, which um, seems to be a great discount when it comes to understanding uh, the Middle East today outside uh, of the lens of uh, media that um, enwrap themselves, enwrap themselves with uh, terrorist organizations, just the way CNN news director Easton Jordan said they did in Iraq so that they could get the story they cozied up to the dictator and hid human rights abuses. That is the stock and trade of major news organizations from the AP to CNN. Former AP reporters have spoken about it. Marty Friedman is the latest. And so, too, have former reporters for CNN, like Eason Jordan. Just yet more support for the notion that when the media reports something, you got to do your own research and find out who benefits from what story. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Leibson Show. Welcome back. Welcome back. 34 past the hour brings us our culture and economy update with John Dombrowski, president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. Hi, John. Happy Wednesday. Good afternoon, Seth. How are things? Excellent. A little rough day today. In the yeah, market, rough. Overall, yeah. Everywhere, uh, including <laughs> it looks on the cryptocurrencies too, huh? Talk to me a little yeah. bit about this, and talk to me about the general notion. I mean, we do these backs and forths, or I guess I should say ups and downs, all the time. But uh, should people be concerned about a day like today? Well, I would say this is when it comes to the cryptocurrencies, we've been talking about this, Seth, um, for a while, how how risky these cryptocurrencies can be. I talked about this the other day when you had Robert on as a guest, 
uh, guest host, uh, about the cryptocurrencies uh-huh. and the potential for uh, those out there who are trying to take advantage of people who are trying to invest in these cryptocurrencies. Uh, and they are extremely risky. You have to have a tolerance for pain at times if you're going to invest in, in assets such as this. Uh, they're, they're in their infancy, and there's going to be a lot of volatility. Um, so generally speaking, when it comes to those types of assets, be prepared to either hold those for a long period of time, or if you don't have the stomach for this volatility, you probably should just stay out of those or buy some other form of maybe a cryptocurrency ETF, something where you could have some access to them without you know, worrying about the actual uh, holding the Bitcoin or whatever cryptocurrency you want to hold. Good, good, good all. And uh, the yeah. earliness of it is is what I think is, in, fa- in fact, uh, responsible for, for, for much of the unpredictability of it. But we did see some um, some downturns on, on the major boards today, too, right? We, uh, we did. And, you know, the, the markets opened up uh, pretty sharply lower this morning. Uh, they did rally back towards the end of the day. There was some buying that came back in. Now, this could be the possibility of the start of a bottom. If you look at the Dow from its uh, you know, more recent high back in uh, early May of uh, about 34,600, something like that, uh, you know, it's down today uh, to 33,700-plus range. It's not down that much, really, Seth, from its high. And, and I, you know, people are starting to panic a little bit, it seems like, here. If you think about even the price of gold, is down about 20% from its high uh, this past year. So this is really not that much of a pullback overall for the markets, and it's really having to do with that CPI uh, report, the, uh, the Consumer Price Index report that uh, came out. So we're seeing a little bit of inflation, and we've been talking about this. But again, the you know the Fed is still talking about that transient type of uh, inflation, and uh, they're thinking that this could just be something that eventually will begin to uh, subside over the next couple of quarters. And they're keeping a close eye on it, and as are investors out there. Um, so I would just encourage people uh, to take a, a look at what they're currently invested in. If they're still confident and comfortable with the positions they have, then that's great. If not, then you know if you're working with an advisor, talk to them and see what you could be doing to. Uh, readjust your portfolio so that these volatility, you know, the periods of volatility are not as concerning to you. Great. Thank you, John. John, are you getting inquiries about new kinds of uh, social media ventures? Um, I know there's there's talk here and there of different things growing, whether it's going to be over at a format like Newsmax or something the pres- ex-president may be involved in or something like Rumble that Peter Thiel is seemingly interested in. Are you getting much inquiries on, on this sort of stuff? Are you telling people to uh, to be patient? It's a little early. Or what are you making of these the, this, this new venture into this new territory? Yeah, there's a lot of consolidation going on right now, too. There was a merger done uh, yesterday or, or Monday. It was announced uh, between, I think it was, uh, uh, oh, I, I missed, I, sorry, I don't have the, the, the details off the top of my head. That's but okay. The media industry is, is certainly, uh, you know, there's a lot of changes going on there. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, the the mass media out there, the that President Trump used to talk about, how it was fake news, uh, that's certainly sparked a lot of people out there who want to start bringing the news, uh, the real news, to the public. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it is going to take time, Seth. And, of course, the current administration, they're talking about how they can 
uh, maybe stop people from having the freedom of the press, the true freedom of the press mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so some of these other, uh, you know, areas that where these other media companies are trying to get out, get the news out like that. Yeah, I think it's going to take a little bit of time before it happens. But um, I think people have to be aware of it and uh, watch for it and support some of the, the new uh, types of media that might be coming out. Thank you, J.D. Bless you, sir. You bet. You bet. Thank you, Seth. Hey, next week we're going to see you, right? We're yep. Mike Gallagher in town. You betcha. Looking forward to that. Securities and advisory services offer to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finn and Investment Advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC, not affiliated. Check out our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. My friends over at Trades Unlimited are there for all your roofing needs. Right now, they're promoting their work on foam roofs, which are a great way to help insulate your home from the extreme Arizona heat. Super popular and also help insulate your home from exterior noise and water leaks. I know the folks at Trades Unlimited. I've been down to their offices and their warehouse. They are great people. The kind of small business you want to just salute. Great people, great work ethic, A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Quality and service is what you'll come to know with Trades Unlimited. The hot summer sun is perfect for foam recoats. Protect your roof before the foam beneath the coating gets compromised. Don't wait until it's too late. Call Trades Unlimited at 480-483-1775 or visit them online at tradesunlimited.com. Rob is in surprise. Hello, Rob. Hi, Seth. I um, just had a couple of uh, comments. Uh, Next time you guys do a contest, you know, the, the whole ticket thing is nice. But I think the real contest ought to be who in your listening audience uh, could uh, win a trip to the border with you and all the other radio talk show hosts. What do you think? What, so the contest should be going to the border with me and the other talk show hosts? That's right. I mean, it's nice that you offer tickets, but I'm thinking, you know, if you really want to grab people's attention, and again, I know it's self-serving in my case, but for future reference, something like that might be a lot of fun, and I think it would generate a lot of interest. It probably would. I think there might be the security issues that uh, we have to deal with and waivers, which is why we weren't able to do it on this one. But I'll check with the the, uh, suits upstairs on this, Rob. Oh, okay. It's just a suggestion. Thank you. uh, Keep me in mind. Thank anyway, you. also in uh, in Yuma, the El Charo Cafe, uh, I found is the best Mexican restaurant in Yuma. That's the El Charo Cafe. El Charo Cafe. C H O double R O. That's right. C- uh, well, it's actually C H A double R O. Got it. Even El better. Don't, don't remind yeah. me of the dancer. Okay. Yeah. I don't. I don't remember the address, but just, I'll just find trust it. Me, you'll, you'll love it. I'll find. Yeah, it. it's it's pretty good. Anyway. Um, uh, back to the Middle East, I'm thinking, you know, holy Sykes-Pico Treaty Batman, and um, <laughs> we're going back a little bit when we talk about, you know, the, the uh, Jewish-Palestine issue. Um, you know, everybody seems to blame the United States, but, you know, when you think about it, well, blame the Ottoman Empire for crumbling, blame the League of Nations, blame the Brits, blame the U.N., you know, and most of all, Blame the leadership of the Palestinian, I guess, authority, we call it now, uh, like Mahmoud Abbas, because, you know, he's he's like 17 years into his first term of a four-year term <laughs> where he, he calls elections and he cancels them. And since, I don't know, 2005, I think, is when he was first uh, elected, if you want to call it that, um, he's been the president. And what has actually improved in the lives of the Palestinians? Not a damn thing. 
right? No. Yeah, I I was reading. You know what I was doing in preparing for my monologue? I was reading some um, old communist uh, papers, newsletters, magazines online, and what they were saying about Yasser Arafat after he passed away. And they were they were saying, you know, at the end of the day, many Palestinians are going to probably look back and say that he isn't the martyr we today think he is because all of these guys, this entire leadership, had opportunity after opportunity to say yes to a Palestinian state and never did, yeah. refused at every never, turn and bought missiles right. instead of schools. Well, that's right. And, and I think that's what the media should be talking about and isn't. And that's what history books should be talking about and aren't, because, you know, the real Palestinian problem isn't Israel's fault. It's the fault of their leaders. They don't care about their own people, and I think you may have mentioned, or somebody may have mentioned or read, it it shows, because nothing's improved for them, and they needed a scapegoat, and Israel provides a complete scapegoat. Now, what I really like is Bibi Netanyahu saying, no ceasefire, you know, he gets a call, now we're not going to ceasefire. This is the way I think a war needs to be persecuted is, and again, when was the last time a real war was won? That's World War II. And ever since their World War II, all the wars were lost by all this political meddling. Um, I think we need to let Israel loose. And I need to make sure that they understand there's no, as they do understand, there's no substitute for victory. You need to demolish, destroy, and vaporize an enemy. Hamas is an enemy to all free people, and not, not just Israel. But if we let Israel loose, get a hands-off policy, let them do what you know they can do well, that's not only going to defeat Hamas, that's going to send a signal to Iran to have them reconsider what they're doing in their own meddling. So I'm all for destroying Hamas, and I'm all for letting Israel just tear loose and destroy evil. So I think you're sorry. Sen- no, no, no. I, I, think, I think your sentiment is um, the essence of common sense. But here's here's the challenge I've been facing for 20 years. Maybe you can help me with it. Something like 20 years, something like since 9-11. And the challenge is this. You um, you look at the way uh, the media and the Democratic Party is responding to what's going on between Israel and Gaza right now. And it it is a shocking uh, abandonment of the of of either common sense, self-defense, or any kind of rational notion of just war. It really is a perversion of what's taking place over there when you listen to the Democratic Party activists, the world organizations, and um, and uh, and the media, Rob. Yeah. And so the notion that Israel, Israel targets um, a Hamas intelligence operation and targets it by first telling all the inhabitants in there that they are targeting it and if they want to save their lives should flee. Israel then carries through with this, losing a lot of intelligence because people fled, all of them did, no one was killed. And Israel at the same time takes out an AP office because it is in the same place as the Hamas organization. They share the same property. 
and the world and the media go berserk that Israel created a crime against humanity. Again, no deaths, but a crime against humanity. There's a lot in that story. There's a lot in that story that will handcuff the kind of common sense that you are articulating. First, odd part, why is the AP so enmeshed with the operations of Hamas? Um, We know the answer. Right. We do know the answer, but that is the obvious first question, isn't it? Sure. Uh, Oh, yeah. Second second question, um, whose numbers are we relying on? The numbers given to us by a designated terrorist organization of the State Department or our ally? Turns out we're taking the numbers of the first and not the second. Rob, there's more here. i got to take a break. Stay with me. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. We're talking with Rob in uh, surprise about the uh, equities between uh, uh, Israel and uh, Gaza and what needs to be done. And Rob was outlining what most normal countries would do if uh, a a neighbor were raining uh, rockets down on them. And I'm making the point that I worry about this, Rob, in that I worried after 9-11 – Does the modern mindset have, in other words, does the modern sensibility have the um, have what have what it takes to fight the kind of war we need to fight against terrorism to get the kind of victory we need to get? And well, that's a good point, right? When you have the world going berserk over taking out a Hamas building, even though everyone was forewarned and there was no loss of life, the world goes berserk over that. Imagine what they do with a land invasion. Well, and I think, again, that's part of the problem because people have been conditioned, as I mentioned, since World War II, yeah. the only war that you know we, we actually won by annihilating and destroying everything. And that's really, in truth, as ugly as it is, um, how you win a war. And I'm sorry, but people are going to die, and buildings are going to crumble, and things are going to be ugly. But... Again, Israel was attacked. Yeah, they, that's that's the that's the other aspect to this. They don't people don't have to die. Um, I saw this in response to the latest claims, and who was it yesterday? Chris Hayes said the United States ought to give the Palestinians in Gaza oh, the Iron Dome, the Iron yeah. Dome. Yeah, and How they, they, you know, but they do. This this has been an odd point being made for a week is that there's an inequity in strength, and. It's look the someone said the Gazans have an iron dome, they have one. It's called "Don't fire rockets at Israel." Yeah, no kidding. No, no, that, honest to God, yeah, you don't need yeah. to give defensive weapons to people who continually uh, complain when they are the uh, offense. You just well, don't need right. to. And that's why they need to be spanked mm-hmm. and spanked badly. Now, uh, real quick too. Um, Go while you're in Yuma. Visit the Yuma prison because it's going to get hot soon, and uh, it's really a good couple hours. It's really a lot of fun to look. Also, since you're in Yuma, if you could go to Algodones across the border and pick up uh, 800 milligrams of ibuprofen for me, that'd be <laughs> 800 milligrams of ibuprofen. Yeah, because it's uh, yeah, it's over the counter. It's cheap. It's like 250 for I don't know 500 caps. I understand. Well, I, I'm sorry you're in such pain. <laughs> I hate that you're in pain, Rob. I'd like to think that. Um, you are feeling better by the minute. I'm Seth Leibson, 602 508 We will be right back.